Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Since this is Palm Sunday, the appointed reading focuses on praise. It's full of praise. You heard it in the very first verse. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good, for God's steadfast love endures forever. And then you heard it in verse 29, the very last verse of the psalm as well. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And yet the assigned lection has us read that first part and read the closing verses, but it leaves out the middle section. And in the middle part in which the writer of the psalm is expressing great distress. The middle part of the psalm talks about how they're feeling attacked, maybe really being attacked. And they're not sure what's going to happen. They're not sure if God will bring them through. They're praying to God for help in the midst of these circumstances. But they are uncertain what's going to happen. How will this play out? But by the time we get to verse 21, they have come through and they say this to God. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. You see it in this psalm. You hear it in other psalms. This movement back and forth from sure faith that God is with us and will take care of us to uncertain anguish, wondering if God is really with us. Is God really there? Can God really help? The same thing is happening in verse 21, but a little different tone is struck there. That's the verse that said, The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. 
Now it's not just a shift in perspective. But the psalmist is seeing this great reversal, this work of God turning things from one way to a very different way, a, a total reversal from we thought we were here to now we're over here, from rejected to revered, from something that we thought was of no value is now of great value, something which seemed impossible has become possible. It's a human dynamic that we all go through from time to time. In a little different way, you heard it in what Dr. Tankersley read as he read to us that passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. People are gathered all around him, people in front of him, people behind him, people waving branches and laying branches down and cloaks. And the people are shouting, Matthew tells us, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They are excited. They're anticipating great things are about to happen as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Maybe this is the time that God is going to work through this prophet and throw off the Roman oppressor. You can hear their excitement and their positive anticipation. But we have the advantage of the historical perspective, which leads us to know that the crowds shouting Hosanna today will soon turn to crowds shouting crucify him, crucify him. All of a sudden, the triumph turns to torture. It's a very real experience in Jesus' life. But it's also a very real experience in human life. Maybe you have gone through it before, where everything was going wonderfully, and then it's not. It's turned around. Victor has become victim all the wonder and glory that we were thankful for has disappeared, and we're in serious struggle. It's very real in human life. You can see it, if not in your life, in the lives of others. You can hear it in this psalm. The psalm moves from praise to distress back to praise. There's also movement in this psalm from those, either the king or the psalmist or maybe the whole congregation, struggling and being outside the place of worship, and then they move to the temple. They come to the temple gates. The time we read in verse 19, you can hear it. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. They feel like God has brought them through, and they want to gather together in the temple or the place of worship to praise and thank God for taking care of them. Whenever we find ourselves in real need, that is often the time we turn to God and seek God. Whenever we realize 
there's another dimension to living that there's a spiritual dimension beyond our physical lives that's often the time we turn to god and begin to seek god knowing that we need to know more and that we need to develop our relationship in a more vital way with god the classic christian expression of this comes from augustine he's one of the premier christian theologians of all time He's born back in the 4th century. He writes his own story. But probably the most famous quote out of his whole story I've put in your outline. He writes these words. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in Thee. If you read all of Augustine's story, you know that he was restless. He tried many different paths. He made many missteps before he found this vital connection with God. It was true in his life. It can be true in our lives as well. Too often we seek after other things that we believe might bring us fulfillment, that might bring us contentment. And we forget about God. Or we begin down that path following God. And then we get distracted with one thing or another. And all of a sudden we're pursuing other things with our time and our energy and our money. That in the long run will never bring us true contentment or fulfillment. Dr. Roberti Bondi was our Barton Clinton Gordy lecturer a few weeks ago. I've been telling you about the book that she wrote, To Pray and to Love. Some of you heard her speak. She has great insight and wisdom. She comments on this human dynamic of this ambivalence toward God and yet a seeking of God. I want to read you a few sentences. She writes, The root of all prayer, and indeed all life itself, is desire for God. All things are made to desire God. In the non-human natural world, this attraction to God is what makes everything what it is. It is what makes acorns grow into oak trees. It is what makes lions roar. Augustine said at the beginning of his great prayer to God, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. And then she goes on to describe human nature and this dynamic we find throughout humanity she writes whatever the nature of our lives in spite of whatever wounds we carry as human beings we share in the blind attraction toward god with the rest of creation below the level of rational thought or choice the desire for god operates within us drawing us into life toward our completion in God and whether we recognize it or not the desire for God is the starting point of all prayer you can hear it in this psalm when they go to the place of worship and call for the gates to be open so that they can seek God so they can draw closer to God so they can praise and give Thanks to God for being alive and at work in their lives. But this turning toward God, this desire for God, we often call repentance. 
in Christian theology. It's this process of self-examination and introspection, looking at our life and our relationship with God and how we're doing. So often it has the tone of sorrow and sadness because when we look back, we know we have not done as well as we would like, that we too have taken missteps along the way just as Augustine did. But often Christians get stuck there. But really, repentance in its fullness, when it comes into its fullness, it comes to a point of joy in connecting with a good God who loves us. That's what you hear in verse 1 and verse 29 when the psalmist writes, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. The back and forth you hear throughout this psalm and so many other psalms. But in this one, it comes to a high point when it proclaims in verse 24, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The psalmist has done the introspection, has looked at their life, and now comes to the place of rejoicing, recognizing that God is is indeed at work. I read a story about Franz Joseph Haydn. You may remember him, one of the great composers of sacred music of all time. This particular story talked about a time when he was writing a major composition, and he was at the point in this sacred piece of music where he's working on this lament this asking for forgiveness, this repentance, this turning toward God. And he said he was stuck. And so he stopped trying to work on the peace and said he began to turn toward God in prayer. And he said, I turn not as a miserable sinner that God despises, but I turn calmly and slowly toward God and open myself to what God might inspire in me and he said as he did that he moved to a place of joy that he began to sense a great sense of confidence in God's work in him and through him and around him and he got to this place of joy and said he just had to begin to write again and above the miserere the part of the lament that he was writing he ends up writing allegro which an instruction to the musicians to speed up, to pick up the pace. He wanted them to sense not only the lament, but to move to that place of joy. Believing and knowing that God is good and God's steadfast love endures forever. The disciple of Jesus, Thomas, struggles to believe that such a turn or reversal can happen Thomas struggles to believe that this Jesus who was crucified could also be raised from the dead. Dr. Bondi comments on that very passage. I want to read you just a few sentences before we close. She writes, Life and the power of the resurrection is no simple and happy life without complexity or pain. How did Jesus rise to be our pledge, example, and prototype? When Jesus appeared to Thomas after the resurrection, he did not simply show Thomas healed and antiseptic scars. Do you remember that part of the story that John tells? 
the disciples are gathered in the upper room on a Sunday, but Thomas isn't there. Jesus appears to them. They all become believers in the resurrection. Thomas comes back. They all excitedly begin to tell him that. And he says, oh, I cannot believe. I will not believe till I see it myself. Bondi goes on and writes, Jesus rose from the dead in the joy of the resurrection. And yet he did not cease to be who he had been at the worst moment of his death. He rose with his wounds. Jesus invites Thomas to touch the wounds in his hands and in his side and believe. And Thomas comes to believe that indeed God is at work and has raised this one Jesus from the dead. And that that love can transcend even death. During this Holy Week, there are many events dramatized. So many struggles that Jesus and the disciples are having. I would hope that as we think through that, maybe even reading through the gospel at home ourselves, hearing these struggles dramatized, that we would come to the place where we, like Thomas, can believe that God's steadfast love indeed endures forever. Amen. Thanks be to God.